about ready. Good evening. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Thanks, Andy. It's good to see everybody. Hello. Hello. Yeah, start a time in prayer and uh, just ask God's blessing. So, Father, thank you for uh, your presence here tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to gather this place to gather. We thank you that you're right here in our midst, and so we welcome you. We pray, Father, that uh, you would lead us, you would guide us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us tonight. We pray your anointing upon our time, uh, teaching, understanding, and uh, getting closer to you. So, Father, open up your word to us. I pray that we'd be challenged, and I ask you, God, that you'd be glorified through what we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Genesis chapter 15. If you need a Bible, you can find one on the table. Genesis chapter 15, and as just a reminder, we have an interactive feature for Bible study. It's uh, through a website, www.speakpipe.com, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Uh, there's a button there. You can toggle and you can leave us a message. It could be something good that God's doing. It could be a question that you have. It could be a comment that you have. It could be just saying hi. We'd love to hear from you, uh, especially if you're from another country. Uh, we'd love to hear where you're from. And it could be just that simple. So uh, give us uh, a visit on that webpage and leave us a message. We'd really appreciate it. Genesis 15 and verse 11. Would somebody read that for us? And the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. All right, thanks. And uh, what this verse is, you can read up and uh, see what happened before, and then you can read what happens afterwards. But uh, what's happening is that this is a uh, ceremony that God is bringing Abram through. Uh, God had told Abram that he would give him the land, uh, basically the land of Canaan, uh, he had left his home in what we would call the nation of, I believe, Iraq is where he's from. And uh, he had traveled to Canaan, and God said, wherever the soles of your feet tread, I'm going to give you this land. And so time passes, and Abram says to God, he's like, will you really give me the land? And God said, okay, well, he's going to make an official covenant. And so this is how covenants were made at this time. And so what he did was he had Abram take some, uh, some animals and he divided them in half. He put half the animal on one side, half the animal on the other mm -hmm. side, and he made a line with animal here, animal here, half, 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 half down. And what would happen would be that if two people were making a covenant with each other, they would walk through the middle of those animals that had been split in half, and as they walk through the mill, that they're saying, you know, we'll keep our covenant to one another, we'll keep our agreement. So it was a contract, but it was done in a very physical way. It was done in a very uh, a way that really illustrates what they were saying, and what they were basically saying through that was that we'll keep this contract, and if we don't, may we be divided in half like these animals. So they're making a solemn. I'm putting my life on the line kind of contract to one another. So, uh, and that's how God set it up. So Abram did as God commanded. He divided the beasts in the middle, and he set them up as God told him to set them up. And he created the situation whereby a covenant could be confirmed, and that's what God intended to do. Uh, if you look in Jeremiah chapter 34, you guys can turn there. Uh, Jeremiah 34, verses 18 and 19. Somebody like to read that? Jeremiah 34, 18 and 19. And the men who transgress my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land Okay, do you understand? Uh, this was Jeremiah speaking and said, here's the covenant. And here's how the covenant was ratified. 
and he describes the same situation that you see here with Abram, where animals were divided in half. They walked through the middle. Now, they had broken the covenant, and so what was the response? Well, you get what you made the covenant as. All right, what was the covenant? Well, they walked through these, these animals split in half. He says, and the same thing will happen to you. Because those are the terms of the covenant. So this was a serious thing. This was a life and death kind of a thing. So you want to make sure that if you're going to enter into this covenant, that you're going to keep your end of the covenant. And so God decided that he would give a sure word to Abram in this situation that I'm going to keep the covenant that I made with you. In other words, I've already told you that I'm going to give you this land. I've already told you that this land is all yours. Abram asked another time, he said, well, is this really all mine? And I said, okay, set it up. And this is what he's doing. He set it up so that there could be a confirmation made. And so Abram, after he set it up, it says he describes a situation that he kept guard over the animals. Because these animals were there, these halves of animals were there in order to seal the covenant. And, and so we get this picture of Abram setting up a guard around them, attending to them, paying attention, sitting with. All of these kind of descriptors are used when it describes what Abram was doing. Because here was the covenant. This is representative of God making a covenant with him. This is what God's agreement was with him. And so he attended to it. And so what happened was, is that as he was attending to it, uh, vultures came. Birds of prey. Uh, in some Bibles, they're described as vultures. In other Bibles, they're described as large birds. Uh, but the idea is, is that they were unclean. That the birds that came were unclean, like vultures. You ever see vultures? Like really get up close to one or kind of get an idea what they look like? I was uh, traveling through Florida one time. I was going across Alligator Alley, and I stopped at a rest area on the way across Alligator Alley because there ain't much else to stop at. There's nothing, you know. And so I stopped there to get a use a soda machine or something like that and use the bathroom. And as I was leaving, I was going out in my car. I noticed these humongous birds, and they were all over the picnic tables and all over around where the parking lot was. And they were used to people because I guess they hung out at the rest area. And so I walked right over to one, and I got probably within three or four feet of one of them and really got a good look at just how ugly they are. I mean, just really ugly. And not even kidding. Like, I, I, it, their mother doesn't even love them. They're so ugly. I mean, they're really ugly. And, uh, and so what, I, what I'm trying to get at is that these are it's descriptor of like, what's unclean. And, and I suppose that... If they were your only friend, maybe you would start to think they weren't so ugly, but they really are. And if you saw them every day and they seemed like they were nice, not that they are, but they seemed like they were nice, maybe they wouldn't seem so ugly to you, but they just seemed really ugly to me. And, and I just took a look at them like, yeah, no, no. That's as close as I wanted to get. That's about it. And, and they were ugly. Now, the reason I'm saying this is I'm going to come back to this in a little while. But I want you to keep that in mind about what a vulture looks like. Not pretty. Not nice. Just an ugly, dirty, unclean bird. Because that's what they are. And they eat dead stuff. Like roadkill. So, they, all right. so keep that in mind. Now, Abram had prepared this place in obedience. And he was waiting on God there. He was keeping watch. And a watch must be kept. Now, I began to do some study into what these large birds would represent. I'm going to give you two things, and I'll also add a few things later on. The first thing that, and, and one of the main themes that I saw that these birds represent are what are described as vain thoughts. What's a vain thought to you? If you had to, not, I'm not asking for one of your vain thoughts. I'm asking, what do you think that means? I could, yep, absolutely. So, so vain in the sense of vanity. Okay, what, what else? What could be a vain thought? What else could be a vain thought? Wishful nonsense. Nonsense, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, that, and it can. And that's another good definition of it. So what would be an example of a vain thought? Man, I can't wait to 
There it is. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, your chances of winning Powerball are fairly slim, none. And, uh, and so, slim, really slim. And so if you're banking on Powerball and you're spending the last few dollars you have to feed your family on Powerball tickets, hmm, bad choices. Those are bad choices. This never worked, but I'll keep trying it anyway. I'll keep going, yeah. Might as well. Yeah, so that's a vain thought, and there's lots of vain thoughts that we have. In other words, there's lots of ridiculous fantasy kind of thoughts that we have. There's lots of self-promoting kind of thoughts that we have, and, and they work against something else going on in our lives. Because uh, you look at what Abram's protecting. He's protecting a symbol. He's protecting the elements that God was about to use to confirm his covenant with him. So in other words... He is looking after, and he's watching, he's attending to, and he's sitting with the agreement that God made with him. Right? God is saying, Abram, this is who you are. God is saying, Abram, this is what your future is. God is saying, Abram, th this is what your purpose is. Abram, this is the vision that I'm pouring into your life. This is what's going to happen. Abram, this is your future. This is what I prepared for you. This is the awesomeness that I have for your life. That's, that's what he's doing. So what's coming in to steal that? The elements of that. What's coming in to steal and to peck away at that? Well, there's these ugly birds. Okay? These vain thoughts. And whether it's fantasy, whether it's selfishness, whether it's pride, whether it's some promotion of self, whatever you want to think of the vain thoughts. And we struggle, each of us struggles our own series of vain thoughts. We get attacked by these kind of vain thoughts. And why are they so good at it? Why are vain thoughts really good at attacking at what God has for us? It's because we entertain them instead of keeping watch over what God has said. Because that's really what's going on. God has said to Abram, this is your future. God has said to Abram, this is who you are. You're a father of many nations. He said, this is your land. Wherever the soles of your feet tread, this is yours. And he, he was doing that about all of these things. He was speaking that into his life, truth after truth after truth. This is who you are. This is your future. This is your purpose. These are all of these things. So Abram sat with that. And he attended to it, and he watched over it. In other words, he valued it, valued it, and he and he cherished it. Right? He wanted that, and he wasn't willing to trade it in for his fantasy. He wasn't. He wasn't willing to trade it in for whatever new self-promoting idea might come into his head, any better idea that he might have had. And I want you to think of it as a better idea because that's what we kind of entertain in our, our, our thoughts is that we got what God says, we got his purpose, his plan, what he wants for us, and then we get a better idea. And what happens when we get a better idea? Yeah, it eats up and it begins to peck away at really what God has for us. The covenant is real. See, those, those animals that were divided in half, that was the symbol of that covenant. That was the symbol of the agreement that God made with Abraham, what God had said. And all he was doing, he was saying, this is the confirmation, Abram. And Abram wanted that. He wanted that. He asked for that. And so he was obedient. He did what God told him to do. And he kept watch over it and he attended to it. And if he hadn't have attended to it, the vultures the vain thoughts would have eaten it up. Another idea of what those vultures represent, and it's closely related to vain thoughts and fantasy, is the idea of Egypt and slavery. And if you've ever struggled in your mind with certain types of thoughts, you've ever struggled in your mind with fantasy, you've ever struggled in your mind with, with the things that attack you begin to understand if you give in to that, it's slavery. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of the worst slavery. That when you become so consumed in your mind that you can't participate really outside of that in any meaningful way, you're a slave. You're isolated. You're by yourself. And that's all there is to it. Now, children, and I was just talking to somebody about this today, but children, you know, oftentimes they may find that as a, a way to escape their situation. And, and I'll tell you the truth that when, when kids still live with their parents or they're still living in their situation and they live in kind of a, a fantasy, I have a hard time separating them from that because they, they have to go back home every night. And, and I, I love working with college students, and I always did, because they're out. And then I can begin to attack that. I can begin to pull somebody out. I can begin to, to let them escape a self-imposed prison that they put themselves in because they don't need to live there anymore. And so as adults, we have to somehow whether it's somebody helping us or somebody pulling at us or somebody calling for us or whatever it is, we need to escape if we're living in that place. Get out. Because there's a slavery to it and there's an isolation to it that we don't need. And, and whether you believe this or not, you don't want that. You just may think you do. And so whether you want to think of it as that Egypt kind of a slavery, that, or you think about it as the vain thoughts, the fantasy, the, the self-promotion, the pride, whatever you want to think of it, it's that stuff that's going to try to consume the agreement that God has made with you. And so God never says more than he's able to do. In other words, if he makes a covenant with any of us, and he has, you know, on a very basic level, we all have a covenant with God. We all have a future. We all have a purpose. We all have a plan that God has for us. And yours may be slightly different than mine, and mine's going to be slightly different than yours. And there may be things that God calls me to do that he doesn't call you and calls you that he doesn't call me and all those things. But there's some basic elements to everything, every one of us, that we share in common. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. We have a life that he's given, and he promises, he says, all right, I'll give you life, and that more abundantly. We have that. There's provision for us, body, soul, and spirit, in the covenant that God has made with us. There's, a, there's provision for us for eternity in the covenant that God has made for us. We can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. His, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's true for me, that's true for you. All of these things that we hold in common within that covenant and the things that are individual to us within the covenant that God makes with each of us, they get attacked by the things I was just describing, by those ugly birds. And if you can see them as ugly birds and you can see how ugly they really are, that's repulsive. You want to reject that. The problem is the longer you entertain it, the longer you entertain those thoughts, the longer you entertain those lies, the longer you entertain that vanity, the longer you entertain that fantasy, the longer you entertain all of these things that, that fight against God's word and God's covenant in your life, the longer you're willing to entertain that, the better those birds look. That's a real problem because they're really ugly. And, and I think all of us probably at one point in our life have dated someone and you've been out with somebody, and then you look at them at another time in another place, and you think to yourself, what was I thinking? <laughs> right, right. It's true. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me like, not me. I'm like, wow, you guys are awesome. Because, I mean, that seems like a common thing. You, you get caught up in something or whatever, and you end up, wow. Well, how did that happen? I don't know. It's just, it's just terrible. But 
I, I believe, and as we're looking at this story, I think there's, man, there's, there's things in our life that the longer you entertain it, the, the better it gets, supposedly, and it doesn't. Because if you can really see things for what they are and you can really see what's really going on for what it is, it's just ugly. Yeah, I, I think of Esau, and he came in from the field all hungry, and, man, he was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of porridge, really? You think he regretted that? I do. I know he did. I know he did. But it seemed like the right thing at the time. See, that's why it's dangerous to follow your heart. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You think, oh, I'm going to follow my heart. That sounds so romantic, and it sounds so so freeing, and, and so, I don't know, like hippie or something. I don't even know. But really, following your heart, where does that lead you? I don't know. Whimsy. Hmm? Whimsy. It is. It's whimsical, isn't it? It's whimsical. It sounds so fun. Until you end up where you don't want to be. Until you give away something you don't want to give away. Until you find yourself in a bondage that you can't claw out of. You know, it seems whimsical and fun until it's not and you're just trapped. Because your heart deceives you. My heart deceives me. So there has to be some kind of counter to that. There has to be something that's a little more true than your heart. And I would suggest that's God's word because it doesn't change. What God says, God's purpose, God's plan. And, and when, whenever your whimsical heart leads you in, in, to something that is in opposition to what God has said in God's plan, that's when you find yourself in a position where you have to make a choice. This seems so fun. This doesn't seem fun. Which am I going to choose? Well, sometimes that thing that doesn't seem so fun at the time is the best choice. That thing that doesn't seem so whimsical at the time is the best choice. And it's the right choice for you and for the people closest to you. And sometimes it's not the easy choice. Sometimes it's really the hard choice. But it's the right choice. So we have Abram. He believe in God. And in his faith, in what God said, you see other, other places in the scripture says, and that faith was counted to him as what? Righteousness. righteousness. He wasn't the most righteous of guys. If you look at it and say, okay, well, was he living on the straight and narrow? All right, whatever you define that as, he really wasn't all that. I mean, he gave his wife up how many times? At least twice. For what? To protect himself, right? What do I mean he gave her up? I mean, he gave her up, all right? He just gave her up twice to save himself, all right? Now, chivalry wasn't invented by then, okay? So we can't really hold him to that standard, but, I mean, there's some basic human decency that that didn't really meet, okay? But his faith and his belief in God was counted to him as righteousness. And I'm not ripping on Abram. I'm just saying kind of who he was. And, and that's okay. I have no basis to judge Abram at all. All I'm saying is that's who he was. And so there was something more important that was going on here. And, and part of what was more important is that he really believed God and what God said. He really believed him. And so when God told him, he said, all right, well, this, this, and this. He's like, oh, is that really going to happen? Yeah. And, and God said, all right, set it up. Let's get the covenant going. But he left his home. He walked the land. He did what God called him to do. God said, set it up. He sets it up. And then what does he do? He waits on God. What's he waiting for? He's waiting on God to confirm the covenant. But he's got faith in this. It's like, did God just tell me something that wasn't going to take place? No, God doesn't overstep those bounds. Does God promise, give a promise he can't keep? Absolutely not. God say things just because, you know, it sounds good? No. We do, but he didn't, and he doesn't. And Abram understood that, and so this counted to him as righteousness. And it's kind of interesting, if you read the rest of the story, what was meant to happen is that Abram and God would pass through there, because they were making a covenant, 
But only God passed through, if you read the story. He appeared as a flaming pot, and he passed through the middle of the animals. And it was just God that passed through. Why? Because it was a unilateral covenant. It was God saying, hey, Abram, I'm going to do this for you. And that was it. That was the end of the story. So God is the one that took upon himself all of the responsibility for the covenant. What did Abram take on? Nothing. Nothing. Let that get through your head for a second. Oh, yeah, he got the blessings. That was it. So Abram, you know, what was his job in all this? He sat and he attended and he took care of the word that God gave him. And so God appeared and he passed through the middle of that, confirming the covenant. God was saying, I've got, I've got this. I've got everything about this. This land, you, the, the, the descendants as the sand of the seashore, all of that, all the stars of the sky, I've got all this, I've got you. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm taking all the responsibility, and there's Abram sitting there. He didn't pass through one thing. I said, I'm going to bless you, and that's what I have for you. Period. Let that sink in for a second, especially all you do-gooders. All right? No, really, let it sink in for a second. Abram attended to the field. God made the covenant. Yeah. And Abram reaped the blessing. There he was. I mean, what was Adam's job in the garden? To tend it. Yeah, that was it. He didn't make it grow. He didn't have to plant. He didn't have to reap. He didn't have to do anything. He just tended the garden. What was Abram's job? Tend the sacrifice. Who's going to make the covenant? God, he's going to pass through. So then I want you to think about Jesus. What's Jesus described as in the New Testament? What is he? He is, there is one between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What's a mediator? One who comes between. Right. And so Jesus, Jesus came between us and God. And took upon himself the responsibility for the restoration of that covenant between us. That's what happened. And so we can look at that, and I want you to understand, we didn't pass through that. Jesus did. And so what was the sacrifice that had to be made? Jesus made it. What was the the uh, the endure, what had to be endured, like the, the beatings and all the rest of that kind of stuff, whose flesh needed to endure that? Jesus. All right? So there was a restoration of covenant between us and the Father because Jesus passed through. So what's our job? If, if you're following down the line of reasoning I'm giving you, what's our job then? We reap the blessing. We tend the sacrifice. Okay, you understand it. So we have this tending job, but we need to take it seriously. And we need to have more faith in what God has said than what we think. We need to have more faith in what God has done and what God continues to do in our life than our better idea. We need more faith in what God is showing us and what God is revealing to us, more faith in that than we do in our fantasy world. More faith in his provision than what we think we can do or we can provide. More faith in what he has shown us. More faith in what he has done for us. More faith in what he has said to us than what we can produce in and of ourselves in our own mind. We've got to have more faith in God. What he provides is better than what I can provide. What he gives is better than what I can produce. What he says is better than what I make up. What he has shown me is better than, than what I can do or produce in and of myself. Right? There's a faith in that. And if we're talking about Abram, it was counted to him as righteousness. If we have faith in the sacrifice of Jesus, if we have faith in his purpose and his plan for our life, if we have faith 
and what he has said over us, if we have faith in the future that he has given us, if we have faith in what it means that he's died and rose again and given us life, if we have faith in that, it's counted toward us as righteousness. Because we can't produce it. We can't make it. We can't form it. And listen, and I'm talking to the do-gooders. You think you can, and you can't. You believe you can, but you've never been able to. And Jesus, he's the only one. He's passed through. God passed through the, those, those animals with Abram, and he took upon himself that responsibility. Abram tended the sacrifice and reaped the blessing. Jesus has passed through. And he has given his life. He, he has allowed himself to be hung on a tree. And he has risen again that we might have life and we might have it all more abundantly. Our job is to tend to his word over our life and to reap the blessing. That's what he's called us to. Going to make it happen. No, you're not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to somehow be the righteousness that, that Jesus wants me to be. Then he'll love me. Now you're mixed up. You're mixed up. He loved you while you were yet a sinner. He died for you. That's what the Bible says. You don't earn his love. He freely gives it. You don't make his love happen in your life. He pours it out for you. And he always did and he always will. So why don't we live in that abundance? Why don't we live in the life that he gives? Why don't we live in the truth that he's poured out? Well, we really don't tend to it as much as we should. We don't sit with it the way that we need to. Because what happened with these birds? Well, they, they came down to consume the agreement. They came down to peck away at it. They came down to, to begin to erode it. What's the, old, what's the old saying? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. How do you, how do you lose how do you lose your relationship, covenant with God? How? How do you lose knowledge of that? How do you lose an awareness of that? How do you lose the life that that brings into your life? How do you lose that? One bite at a time. One peck at a time. From some of the ugliest birds you ever want to see. But you've gotten used to them. And you've allowed them to come. And you allow them to peck away at that covenant relationship that you have. You just have. And so we kind of live in a half world of truth, a half world of life, a half world of the presence of God, a half world of what it means to live in the miraculous, a half world of the spiritual life that God has given us. And we get satisfied with half or a quarter or an eighth of what God has for us. We get satisfied with not quite the person God had for us, but that guy will do or whatever, that girl will do, whatever. We get used to those kind of things. And so we, we just give in and we say, all right, well, close enough. It's not good enough. I'm sorry. If that's good enough for you, I want you to rethink that a little bit because that's not what God has for you. That's not the future he has. That's not the plan he has. You've got to get a hold of that, and then you need to tend to it. Now, I know most of you have received plenty of prophetic words about your life. Well, you need to tend to those. What does that mean? It means every now and then you listen to that tape or you listen to that, that file, that digital file, or you read through the notes that you took on that or whatever it is, and you read through those and you tend to it. You pray into it. You let it feed your soul a little bit. Yeah, I have cassette tapes from the 80s. Yeah, a prophetic words over me. And every now and then, I got to hear it and let it feed me. And I have to tend to it because I believe it. And that faith in that God that spoke that to me, that is counted to me as righteousness. Why? Because I'm going to believe that over my best idea. I'm going to believe that over my best fantasy. 
I'm going to believe that over whatever it is my brain can produce. Whatever smarts I got, I'm going to believe it. And that's counted to me as righteousness. See, Abram was bound to nothing. But God enters covenant with us. He does. He enters covenant with us. How do you know you're not bound to anything? How do you know it? Like, why isn't this your covenant? Why is it him? How do you know it's him? How do you know this is Jesus passing through and not you? How do you know? You can tell me. I know how you know. You know how you know? Because you just do whatever you want. Okay? And you know what happens when you do whatever you want? Things just get eaten up. That's what happens. Yeah. Because everybody wants, it's like, well, you know, that person over there, not really living for Jesus. Why is their life so, you know, this or that? Well, because they're free. And they're going to do what they want. Well, you do that too. Yeah, we're all living that way because that's how God created us. I mean, the whole idea of the garden is that they could do what they wanted, right? How do you know they could do what they wanted in the garden? How do you know? Right, because they did, right? That's how you know. It actually happened. And they made that decision and they did what they did. There were consequences to that decision, but they were free to do it. And then every generation that's come after them has a freedom and they're born into that freedom. What's that freedom? They do what they want. See, you don't have to go around proving you can do what you want. You can stop proving that. It's okay. You know, most of your rebellion in your life is centered around you proving you can do what you want. You can do what you want. It's God-given. You don't need to prove it. There's no need for the rebellion. None. Just do it. You know, and I'm not giving you license to do it. God did. I'm not telling you you can do it. God told you that. And you choose to live a certain way. You choose to make certain decisions. And there are certain consequences to those decisions. That's all. That's all there is to it. If you go up into a bank and you rob it, what's the consequences of that when your face is plastered all over the 6 o'clock news? You're going to jail. All right? That's what's going to happen. But are you free to go rob the bank? Go ahead. But there's a consequence to that. Are you free to go 90 miles an hour on the thruway? Yeah. And you can keep going 90, 100 miles an hour on the thruway until when? Until some, some state trooper pulls up behind you and he pulls you over and you're stopped. Or you run out of gas and that's the end of it. But you're free to do it. All right? There's just consequences to what you do. And here's the consequences, and this is kind of this idea. Abram didn't have to tend the sacrifice. He chose to. Abram didn't have to look out for all the animals that were cut in half. But he chose to. And he chose to obey what God told him to do. He chose to cut those animals in half. He chose to sit and attend it. And he chose to, to begin to keep the vultures away. Why? Because he valued the covenant that God had made with him. He valued it. He did. And, and I can only encourage you to really value what God has covenanted with you. Really value it. Yeah. So you, you talked before, I remember a sermon where you talked about how when something is just handed to you and given to you, you don't value it the same as something that you work hard for and you, you toil over and you mm -hmm. put a time and investment into, like, buying a new car, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So this is what this reminds me of, and I was also thinking about how, you know, we view people who are strong and pillars and, oh, they know a lot, but looking from the inside, a strong relationship with God looks more like a lot of dependence and a mm -hmm. lot of need, you know? It's kind of interesting, too. It's like, well, how do you know Abram cared about this? Because he actually tended to it, right? And so 
There was a value that he placed on the covenant. There was a value that he placed on what God was offering him. And it was so much of a value that he actually tended to it. You know, what's self-evident about that? You know, you think about relationships. If you value a relationship, you tend to it. You just do. And, and so what does that take? It takes time and effort and whatever else. So we tend to what we care about. And so he cared about it. He tended to it. So the, the Bible tells us that when the vultures came, he chased them away. In other words, he, he kept an active watch on the spiritual sacrifices that were made. He kept an active watch on his act of obedience. He kept an active watch on the covenant that God was making with him. And so he was aware when the vultures came. Now, what did we say the vultures were? Possibly? Vain thoughts. Yeah. Fantasy. Pride. Self-promotion. Greed. Whatever. Ultimately, they represent a certain kind of slavery in our life. And Abram had decided he didn't want it. He didn't want to go back to where he came from. He didn't want to go back to the life that he had. He was going to go full into what God said, this is your life. And that's what he wanted. He wanted his descendants to be as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He wanted the land of Canaan that God said was his. And he obeyed what God said, and he tended to it. And so vain thoughts came, chased them away. And we have a certain responsibility of what goes on in our head. We do. And I, I'm shocked at the number of Christians that I meet who think that they're helpless with what's in their head. And that's not true. We have a responsibility to chase away the things that are eating away at our spiritual life. And it could be thoughts, and, and what do I mean by that? I mean, well, don't entertain things. Don't entertain things. See them for what they are. They're ugly. They're nasty. They're trying to consume something good that God has for you. You need to chase that away. Something else pops in your head. Okay, it popped in your head. Do you need to entertain it? No. You need to see it for what it is and chase it away. It's working against what God has said. It's working against his covenant in your life. It's working against the truth that he's put into you. You need to get rid of it. So uh, somebody look at Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's try that. So there, there's, a, there's an activity that goes on in us that God wants to change the way we think. And we have a participation in that. And so as we begin to reject the, the, van, the vanity, we begin to reject the vain thoughts, we begin to reject the things and drive away the things that are trying to eat away at what God has said, we allow for... And we make room for his truth in us. We put ourselves in a position where we hear him more clearly. We put ourselves in a position where we experience him more clearly. We put ourselves in a position where we practice his presence more readily in our life. 
And there's something really powerful about that, that as we reject the lies and we reject the things that are eating away at what God has said, what God has said becomes more clear and what God has said becomes more real and what God has said becomes more an object of our faith and our obedience than it is if we're fighting every vain thought that we're allowing to stay in our minds. It needs to stop. I left a place that I left because I didn't want to be there anymore. Hopefully you left somewhere that you don't want to be anymore. But don't entertain the thoughts that lead you back. Just don't. What do you mean? No, just uh, wherever you came from. You came from somewhere. And you probably didn't want to be there. So why go back? I came from somewhere I don't want to be. Why would I go back? Do I sometimes have the same thoughts that I had when I was there? Sure. I'm going to drive those away because they're eating the life that God has given me now. They're eating the truth that God has put in me now. They're going to try to peck away at the, the, the righteousness that Christ has, has already bestowed upon me. They're going to peck away at the faith that I have and what God has already said. See, they become the enemies of obedience and peace and blessing in our lives and real freedom in our lives. And we need to treat them as such, as enemies, as ugly enemies, because that's what they are. When vain thoughts come, we need to drive them away so that we can attend to God without distraction. And if you understand what I mean by that, good. Of what it means to attend to God without distraction. Because there's a lot more that you can hear, see, know, understand, and experience with God if you attend to him without distraction in your life. A lot more. There's a lot more there. So driving away these thoughts, driving away this vanity is a key component to attending to God without distraction in our life. I mean, in reality, how long can you sit quietly and listen? I mean, just reality. I'm not trying to to put anybody on the spot, but I want you to think about that. How long can you sit and listen to God in reality without other thoughts invading your mind and taking over your thought process eventually? How long before those thoughts take over your thought process? For each of us, that's going to be a different number. But it's what happens. And so what I'm talking about is being able to attend to God without distraction. That's that amount of time before those thoughts take over. So let's say that's a minute. I'm being generous. Let's say that's a minute. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. We all have a certain amount of revelation, right? We all have a certain amount of understanding. We all have a certain amount of vision for our lives. We all have a certain amount of power that runs through us. We have a certain amount of love that we live in and all the rest of that kind of stuff. What would happen if we could change that to two minutes? or three minutes, or five minutes, that we could sit and attend to God in our life without distraction. Abram was willing to do what was necessary in order to do that. To attend to God without distraction or disturbance, any of those things. He just took the time to do it. The Bible describes it. There's a literal thing that it says about how he drove them off. There, there are two ways of looking at it. One, uh, as described in the verses, it says he drove them off with the blast of his mouth. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he drove them off with a blast of his mouth. And sometimes 
I, I think it's important for us to to verbally or even physically drive some of these things from us. I just do. I know we want to be all self-contained and really nice and not say or do things that draw attention to ourselves, but sometimes you're going to just gonna need to get rid of some things. And, and it's best to do it verbally or it's best to do it physically in our lives. There's things when I pray for people that I need, I have to demonstrate physically as I'm praying over them or, or it's, it, it's not the same. And I know it's not the same. And it, whether that's my weakness of faith or, or whatever it is, I have no idea. I don't care, really. I just know that if I demonstrate something, it, it's, it's, it means more. And in the past, that's meant that, uh, you know, I've punched people in the stomach or I've slapped people in the head or whatever. It's meant those kind of physical actions. But it's meant something when it takes place. Or even things that I'll do to myself. And I'm not talking about being a weirdo, like, you know, hurting myself or anything. I'm just saying a physical demonstration of something God is doing that I'll do. A blast in my mouth to, to say or rebuke or, or to drive something away from me. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, if June took video of me sometimes when she's been driving and, and I've been praying in the car, um, she could probably get a pretty good case going as to me being a little nuts because of some of the physical things that I do. Whatever. I just want to just say that, you know, whatever it is that keeps us from demonstrating, whatever it, keep, it is that keeps us from really speaking, whatever it is that keeps us from shouting, whatever it is that keeps us from laughing or crying or, or pouring out our hearts, it needs to be gone in the name of Jesus. It just needs to be gone. You know, we got this whole... Whatever it is, this northeastern coldness going. And I know the weather's cold, but man, you know, it, it, it's not just the northeast. I mean, there's a certain amount of that, that midwestern and the this, this stoicism and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But it's got to go. We need some more demonstration of, of Jesus, some more demonstration of what he's doing in us, some more demonstration of, of driving away the things that be driven away, the things that, that, that need to be. Shout it out of here, of me. And shout it out. And in the illustration they have, so he, it says that he, the blast of his mouth, and the result of that, literally what it says is that he caused them to be blown away by the, by the blast of his mouth. He caused those ugly birds to be blown away and, and what I want you to get from that is the ease the ease at which those enemies were told to go and they were blown away okay he didn't go fist fight them he didn't go over and wrestle them it was the shot the blast of his mouth and they were blown away I want more of that. I want more of that. And I want to live in that kind of an ease. God wants us to live in covenant with him. God wants us to believe his word. God wants us to participate in the kingdom. He wants us to live spiritually. He wants us to, to have life in that more abundantly. That's his desire for us. He doesn't make it hard for us to enter into those things. There's an ease to it. If you're aware enough, and you care enough, and you want it, and you believe him, if you're going to take his word and say, yeah, I believe you got for what you're saying, and that becomes something that you're going to give yourself to, yeah, sure. You're going to tend to it? You're going to sit with it? You're going to be around it? You're going to allow for that? Well, there's an ease. Once you get yourself to that point of actually living in it, and driving away the enemies of your obedience, your peace, your blessing, and your freedom. There's an ease to it. We need to live in that ease. You know, uh, we've been doing deliverance here for a lot of years. I've been doing deliverance for a lot of years. 
And I know there's people that disagree with me about this. I know there's people that have their ways of doing things. But the days of me screaming and yelling and stomping around to tell a demon to go are way gone. All right? That's Africa here. I don't care where. Because something snapped in my brain one day. And I discovered an ease by which that can be done. And that's the way I teach it. As an ease. And if you go somewhere else and you see other people doing deliverance, you might see something different than you see around here. I have no qualms with that. I just know what God showed me, and that's what I show the people around me. And so this is one of those situations where I want you to understand that there is an ease to this of driving these vultures away. If you'll accept it. If you'll believe it. And if you'll enter into it. An ease. Because the bottom line is, like I said, God wants you to live in that relationship with him. He's done everything necessary. He's the one that passed through. He's taken the responsibility. We reap the blessing. There's an ease to this. So I want to encourage you tonight. We're going to take a couple minutes. And as we do, I want to encourage you to let God begin to change your mind. Let him help you. I mean, you've got to participate in that. But God's word, his covenant, his blessing, his life, abundance, he's got all that stuff for you. He's got all the spiritual blessings that you could ever, ever, ever want. He has for you. He has a future. He has a plan. He has vision. He's already, I mean, most of you already had plenty of words given over you. You just need, need tend to them. You need to tend to them. But let's start a good fight tonight to drive those vultures off. All right, let's just start there. Let's start a good fight tonight just to, and it, to drive those vultures off with a blast of our mouth. They might just be blown away and learn what it is to live in that kind of an ease, in that kind of a freedom against our enemies in our mind. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have victory in you. I thank you that you called us to, to, to really just tend to the things that we value. And so tonight, for some of us, I, I asked you that maybe we would find a new value in life in you, a new value in your will and, and your purposes for us, your plan for us. And for some of us, that requires us to lay aside our plan and our better ideas and really believe you for yours. Might call us to lay aside our pride to really take hold of what you have for us. We thank you that you are all about restoring relationship. You're all about restoring life. You're all about that abundance in our life. You're all about the future that we have in you. You're all about your purposes and your call over us. You're all about the, the meaning that, that you provide and that you give for us. You're all about peace and joy and love, mercy, and grace. And I pray tonight we begin to really value those things and drive away the vultures and drive away the thoughts and the ideas and the vanity, the vain things that come into our mind, the fantasies, the rebellion, the pride, the stupidity. And with an ease, with an ease, they'd be blown away. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Mm. Thanks for abundance, God. Thanks for blessing. 
Thanks for making us the objects of your blessing. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for doing things that we can't do. Thanks for giving us things that we can't produce. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for a healthy, a healthy dependence on you. Thanks. God, I pray that you'd make us a people that would attend, that would wait, that would sit with, that would just be with you. Thanks. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen.